spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house fourth team zoom meeting in a day and a half i'll tell christine who i'm chatting to in a minute to what i was up to afterwards it's just been one of those weekends so got a wonderful lady with me today now we were due to chat Actually, another day actually, we had to swap things around a little bit for various reasons. And it's great when you chat to people the first time on spoken label, you can get really surprised sometimes. When I've got a lady called Christine Stoddard with me, I hope I pronounced that right now, Christine. <laughs> By the way, um, I first came across her work fairly recently on Eat the Storm's podcast run by the lovely Damien, and I was blown away with her work. And I dropped a message, and we've got these books in today now. What I didn't realise was, is how much of a project Christine's got on the go. So, anyone's wondering today, is it going to be a straight poetry podcast? No. <laughs> so, Christine, obviously, i better let you, let you get a word in. Tell people, obviously, first of all, a little bit about yourself, and where did all your creativity originally come from? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. So really, I've been making various kinds of art and creative projects since I was a kid. Uh, My father is an American documentary filmmaker, and my mother is a Salvadoran housewife who's extremely creative. Uh, So growing up, I would watch all kinds of films with my parents. We'd go to the different museums in Washington, DC, all the Smithsonian institutions. We'd go to a bunch of festivals and university art shows, theater, all kinds of events really. Uh, Because my mom was a new American, she was very excited about learning the various cultures that are represented here and especially in an area like Washington, DC. And because she was a housewife, and she had three kids, she had the time, or you could say she at least prioritized it, made made it a priority to take us to all these different museums and libraries and festivals, et cetera. Um, And I really have both of my parents to thank for that. Um, My dad went to art school. He 
technically as the journalist now, <laughs> you could say working in documentary mm. film and news broadcast, but he did go to art school. He studied photography. He dabbled in sculpture. Uh, so both of them would show me how to make things since I was a little girl. And we read a lot. The family read a ton. Uh, my paternal grandfather, Edward Stoddard, is a writer or was a writer. He published books on magic for children, and oh, he also whoa. published books on math. <laughs> That's varied. <laughs> and then my, yeah, yeah, quite varied. And then my paternal great grandmother was a playwright and a painter. So a lot of influence from those relatives too. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, I went to art school and I did my MFA as well. And I've been very fortunate. I've had day jobs in journalism, which have allowed me to put my writing and production skills to use. But now I work on my projects full time and um, just hustle very hard. <laughs> I think you obviously when you're on doing the full time stages like you are, and we'll explain why more in a moment. I think you have to learn to hustle hard, don't you really? Because like it's it's not like it is for me, like uh, people know I'm on a part time and I've got a day job. But like it's you're doing like that, you've got to be on you're not work, working or writing, you're looking for opportunities all the time, really, aren't you? I suppose, yeah, in a sense. Uh, luckily, at this point, I don't have to look as much. I still am applying for grants, I'm still looking for open calls, but I'm fortunate that I have people reach out to me and I have some ongoing relationships. Like one of the places where I produce, uh, a lot of my plays and a funny poetry series called Poet Voice Sucks mm. uh, is a Broadway comedy club. And I've been affiliated with them since 2019. And now I just ask for dates to produce shows. And more often than not, they say, yeah, you can have that date. You can put on a show at this time. And there's a lot of business stuff I have to figure out to ensure that I profit from each show. But it is wonderful that I don't have to constantly uh, think of new venues and contact new people and beg for space because in New York space real estate is a huge commodity and it's not a place where people are often so generous with space because it's hard to be you have to be very privileged to be generous with space here oh completely now I want to obviously talk about first what you're up to at the moment first of all because I will, originally, I do a little spoke label. It's about a five or six week gap, obviously, before I think the podcast comes out. But I know at the moment you've just gone into rehearsals yesterday, didn't you, for a play? You've got, pardon me, you've got on the go at the moment called My Favorite Sex Toy. So tell us about this play, first of all, mate. Yeah, sure. So this is a part of a series of comedy plays that I do at the Broadway Comedy Club and the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Some of them I do record and I put online at a later date. Uh, but my favorite sex toy is uh, about a conversation between a woman and her favorite sex toy, a vibrator. And uh, it's, it's an absurdist play. It's just over the top. But, you know, there's some serious topics that are discussed, like body positive, positivity, sex positivity, uh, relationships, romance, love, all sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, another, I would say an even bigger project that I'm working on is a play called Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares. And that's something that I have worked on in one way or another for five years. <laughs> Um, for, <laughs> yeah. yeah so that was first published as a chapbook of poems 
mm. uh, these narrative poems by Semi-Perfect Press in Philadelphia. Uh, and it's the same title, Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares. And people who read this chapbook said, this is just so narrative. I could imagine you turning this into a novel or a play. And at that point, I had been focusing so much on the written word that I wanted to bring something into a performance space. So I said, you know, let me just rewrite this as a play. And I did. And then I started submitting it to competitions and had, of course, the usual heartache of waiting to hear back, waiting to hear back. Oh, there's a rejection. Waiting to hear back. Oh, there's a rejection. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it did win a national competition, finally, and was published as a script, as a play, in a book. Um, and then the pandemic hit and we were in quarantine. Oof. So Oof. I found out that it won the competition at the end of January or early February, 2020. And New York City shut down in March, 2020. A, a, week, bit, like, a bit like here as well, that year, March, 2020, yeah. Oh, yikes. Oh, terrible. Yeah, the week that we were discussing which theater to stage the performance was the week that the city officially closed. So I remember that Monday we had started honing in on some of the logistics because of course there's all this boring stuff you have to figure out, right? And by that Friday, it was, well, Christine, it looks like we can't do the play right now because no one's allowed to do anything except for shop at the grocery store. So <laughs> let's oh, just hold yikes. on. <laughs> uh, oh, yikes, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had to wait uh, two years to to actually get everything in order and put on the play. Um, and it premiered at the Gene Frankel Theater in June 22. Uh, and we have a few other performances that are coming up. There's gonna be the Shashama Festival, which is in upstate New York. There is going to be Arts on Site, which is on St. Mark's Place in Manhattan. And then for everyone outside of New York, uh, we did film it. So we are going to have a streaming version. We have a documentation of one of the live performances mm. from June, but then we also shot it in a cinematic way uh, oh, that is frankly more interesting to watch. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I think we should move on to next one. Obviously, I know obviously yeah, we talk sure. about your play size. Obviously, we talk about films and stuff. Because like I said, I know you've done obviously you've done some obviously like you've done some narrative and experimental films to quote your website have been lazy both me of course you're doing music videos and video art tell us about that then next obviously like because i see you've done quite a bit in this at the moment and certainly website is referring to uh, a short brother and bones currently in post-production which i'm guessing may not be now and other things as well so but tell us the difference for you then about when you're doing obviously your films to your plays and yeah, sure. So my first feature length film was Sirena's Gallery and that I shot in 2020. Um, and it does have a very poetic style. It is an experimental film. It is art house. Um, I love, love art house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's been picked up by Summerhill Entertainment uh, here in the States. And we'll see where it ends up with distribution. It's screened a few places. It's next going to be screening at Cinema Village in New York. Um, but it's about a woman who has recently lost her husband to suicide. And she has to 
figure out how to run the art gallery that they've been running uh, all by herself. And it unfortunately is right around the time that the pandemic hits. So she has to also figure out all of the digital aspects of e-commerce stuff that she's never thought about before while she's grieving. Um, so I would say uh, I'm very influenced by what one of my professors told us in undergrad, which was that writing a screenplay is more like writing poetry than it is writing fiction. Because you think about rhythm, you think about beats, you think about images. Um, it, I, I mean, I guess it's one thing for a Hollywood blockbuster, that kind of filmmaking. I, I sometimes enjoy watching those films, I'm not gonna lie, but making them, that's not so much my ambition. So I definitely take it to heart, uh, this idea of writing as a poet when I'm approaching filmmaking and yeah. screenwriting. Yeah, I think I know a few people do film work, film work like that, and there's various ways you can approach it. And what I've seen of your work, certainly, yeah, I can see the poet in you, no matter what you're doing, really. So that's why. So I think we should really talk about your poetry next, because this is great. Because I mean, like you're leading into everything I can ask you about. I'm like, yeah. if people people want to review your work, obviously, like I said for you've done, you've been involved in numerous books, chapbooks, and zines. And there's also drama and fiction collections knocking around as well. There's numerous ones people can look on here as well. So I'm just going to encourage people to obviously go and look at your work, obviously. Now, tell us, obviously, before we go into that, about your, your I know you're involved in, I don't know if it's still active, actually, Quail Bell Press and Productions. Yes, Quail Bell Press and Productions. It is very active. So this is the umbrella that I use for hmm. all of my projects. Uh, so I used, when I was first starting out, when I was a teenager, I would have a lot of other people publish or curate my work. And some of that still happens, but mm. now I really, as much as possible, like to come up with a vision and see through, see it through to the end. Um, I might be partnering with another organization or an institution because that's how business works. Right. Uh, but I like to, as much as possible, be the creative director uh, behind each project. So with Quail Bell Press and Productions, our latest book is Lunar Phoenix. And this is an anthology of Black voices that was guest edited by three editors, Tanisha White, Lana C. Marilyn, and Lachelle Johnson. Uh, Lana C. Marilyn was just in the documentary Poetry New York, which was uh, directed by Patrick Pfizer and recently premiered a few different places, Chain Film Festival, Trenton Film Festival. He's based in Barcelona. He's not based in New York. He just was fascinated by the New York City poetry scene and came out here for, I think, a week and shot a bunch of interviews with different New York City poets. Um, but Lunar Phoenix is available now. If you go to Quail Bell, Quail like the little bird, and Bell like the object you ring, dot com uh there you can look at our various projects books films plays etc and how to buy them where to see them tickets all that brilliant yeah that's said for it's you've done numerous works and it's i could spend we were joking toys before christine work before we came online air basically i could probably spend about a day chatting to you you went for everything but people check <laughs> it out it's incredible now obviously there's a few things i want to touch on later i want to give you Specific time to read us me work for us today, anyway. But obviously, like, there's a couple of things to wrap up on. But I know, obviously, you've 
done some work recently, haven't you, over at Bushwick Open Studios this weekend just gone as well, as well as been playing rehearsals. So obviously, before I ask you how um, what is sleep? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> well, tell us about that, because I know you've been doing um, and I was going back for your feed before, and then like about sculpture as well. So that that bit which did catch me out. So tell us about your love of sculpture then. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned before, my father is a documentary filmmaker, but he went to art school and he concentrated on photography, but his secondary studies were all in sculpture. So when I was a little kid, uh, he would just pick up stuff on the street. He was very, one of his favorite sculptors is Louise Nevelson. And she's an artist who is known for gathering what a lot of people would call junk. She would street comb through New York City in the 1970s, back when it was bankrupt. <laughs> and there was a lot of abandoned this and that and put together these found object sculptures and spray paint them so that they were monochromatic. She has a lot of, to me, the some of the most fascinating ones are these black sculptures. I don't know if there's a series for them, but my dad would make a lot of that kind of work, like found object work. And then my mom, because she grew up in a very poor country and during the Civil War, was also very fascinated uh, by trash and and garbage. So mm. <laughs> uh, when I so I would take after both of them. Uh, because they would show me like, look at what you can do with bottle caps. Look at what you can do with this cardboard. People just toss it. And I'd put together these tiny little puppets, tiny little sculptures, little doll houses, whatever. And in one way or another, I still do that today. And some of the trash projects are a lot more ambitious. And I do work with some traditional materials. Um, I've done a lot of ceramic sculpture, for instance, not so much recently because like a lot of artists here in New York City finding uh, access that we had before the pandemic to a lot of the facilities at this point is still hard. I can't fit a kiln inside of my New York City apartment. Um, but I, yeah, I love, that sculpture forces you to think in the round. Um, you have to think about something in three dimensions. You want someone to be able to walk around whatever you're making. Whereas with a painting, you might have small sculptural elements that protrude from it, but it really is a 2D experience. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So sculpture forces you to think about space. Uh, and that that appeals to the poet in me and I would say that's how I identify first and foremost is as a poet and with poetry it appeals to the poet in me because I like thinking about images and the environment uh any kind of environment not just yeah. nature yeah, yeah, uh, and, and what it feels like to be in a place and how to describe it but of course as we know, as writers, it can be hard to put things to words uh, sometimes. And that's one of the things I find freeing about working with visuals is uh, I have a chance to express myself in a way that I might have trouble with uh, in poetry. Or I yeah, just yeah. get to do something new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get completely with it. It's, that's why it's like, I want to Touch on last one. We could probably ask you what plans you've got next, and that bit will probably take half an hour anyway. But um, 
explain to me, obviously, because like, I'm, I'm an artist who sort of dabbles in various mediums, but like it's... And I never cease to confuse, I always confuse people. And I tell them I do the same. I do, I do like ambient music, podcasting, writing, and other bits and pieces. I do editing with people as well. Like it's like people like to ask me sometimes, how do you manage to balance doing four different mediums like that? And I'm at the same place you really like it's, do you find it easy just to switch from one thing to another all the time? Yeah, I don't like the term conceptual artist because some of the connotations associated with it, but I think that's what I am. I'm an interdisciplinary artist that I'm attracted to different kinds of media depending on my idea, depending on the story. Uh, I don't really find it so difficult to switch from one thing to another because I'm first attracted to what it is I'm trying to say or trying to express. And then I choose my medium based on that. Yeah, same thing as well. Get it completely. I think as well, like, I always believe when you've managed to master one medium, the second one, like, is, I mean, in your case, probably 10. <laughs> it's like, you can find you can move from one to another, can't you? And it's like, I think a lot of it is just training your brain, really, to accept things. And respect to your, your family, this one, your family bought you up with, like, to it. My, what I can see to embrace all kinds of mediums and not be afraid to constantly try try other things all the time. Yeah, no. Again, I do definitely credit my family, and and not just for exposing me to different media, but also exposing me to ideas of sharing and collaboration, yeah, and sure. not <laughs> uh, not imposing so much of a hierarchy. That's one of the challenges I, and I would say disappointments of Western society is that art and literature are seen as very much these hierarchical kind of things like you have to study in this formal way and you have to read this canon and go to these museums and you you only have a like street cred, <laughs> like the the, oh, the artistic God. version of it, if you're affiliated with certain schools and institutions. And uh, that's something I've always loved about my mom's culture is that art is more folkloric and it is for everybody. And it's not something that has to be professionalized. People just paint and they sing, they do whatever they want creatively because it gives them joy. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you completely with that. Now, I want to wrap up this point, Neil, Christine. So, outside for we've been hinting before, like we've been a lot of a lot of things. I want to. I always like to ask people to what plans do you have coming up next? Now, you were telling me off mic before, and I think we should touch on this first. Really, is like I know you're running a podcast at one point that you're looking at bringing back, aren't you? Next, well, either end of this year or beginning of next year. So, tell us about that first. Yeah, sure. So I used to run the podcast, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn on Radio Free Brooklyn. And I would bring on a different woman who was doing something incredible for the Brooklyn community. And it wasn't necessarily um, an artist or an activist. Many of them were doing work that overlapped between the arts and activism. Uh, some of them came from the business world. Um, but yeah, I, I was just curious about how they define success and their ideas about feminism and community and the ways that they were trying to give back and the challenges they were overcoming. 
these are all women that I admired and many of them were absolute strangers, but I would read about them or I'd hear about Mm. them and invite them on to the show. Mm. Um, Then, and I co-hosted that uh, off and on with two classmates who went to Virginia Commonwealth University with me, uh, Mari Pack and Kaylin Kopish. And then they both moved on, you know, grad school, moving to different cities. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I hit pause on that. And then I brought it back during the pandemic uh, for almost a year. (laughs) And then I had some of my own life changes. And then I had also been struggling with um, what to do with the podcast and how to integrate it into some of the other things that I'm doing. And I've had a lot of success and joy in doing live events. Um, And I am lucky to have a home at the Broadway Comedy Club and the Greenwich Village Comedy Club right now. So, and have for the past couple of years, even with the pandemic, you know, doing, uh, doing various virtual stuff. But I am going to have a live recording with a panel discussion of some incredible women, uh, December 4th of this year. And I'm going to, you know, edit the the discussion a little bit, but for the most part, what we record in person is what people will be able to hear online. And then the plan is to do that every month with a panel of five or six different women or non-binary folks and have them again, like discuss art, activism, identity, feminism. I'm going to have a different topic each time that's a little bit more specific. Um, but I do want to bring women from different fields. I have a tendency to work with other artists uh, just in my life. It makes sense, right? And to a lesser extent, journalists. Uh, but I, I want to bring more women from the business world and the nonprofit world into what I do. And I think the Badass Lady Focus is a perfect opportunity for that. And I agree with you completely. I'm always a believer in like, you're giving something back, aren't you? What you're doing here, like trying to help people out and getting those great good luck with it, definitely. So, do you have any more put any more books in the plan in the plans at the moment or anything like that? Can always talk about your plays and stuff, haven't we? So, yeah. So uh, we just released Lunar Phoenix through Quail Bell. Uh, as for my own books, I'm just sending everything out. I'm in manuscript <laughs> mode. So I don't know what's going to get picked up next. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, my book, hmm. uh, Heaven is a Photograph, was released by Clash Books. And that is a, a narrative a poetry and photography book that is about a young woman's um, experience with photography and how she moves from photojournalism to fine art photography and finds her voice as an artist. Um, and, you know, because of the pandemic, I never had a real book launch for that. I've oh. had a couple virtual events here and there uh, and some interviews but uh, I would love for people to check out Heaven as a Photograph um, no, Good luck of it Good luck of it definitely so I wish you all the best of that Christine. Now thanks. obviously we better wrap up this point now so obviously if people want to find out more about you where do you recommend they go? Definitely my website I update Oh it's that. tremendous it's <laughs> tremendous one of the most comprehensive websites I've come across that <laughs> Thank you. It's worldofchristinestoddard.com and Christine is with a C-H and an E at the end and Stoddard is S-T-O-D-D-A-R-D. Worldofchristinestoddard.com. That is the place and you can find my links to everything else there. Oh, 
People have a good website. It's worth going on it. You've got a section of bios you have. And these are incredible. It's like, I've known people to do this before now, but I've never seen it where you've got one part, haven't you, where it's a 49-word bio, a 94-word bio, a 196-word bio, and then, like, one that's a 341-word bio. They're all incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I like to make it easy for journalists to copy and paste. That's what I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly do with that one. I know which one I'm going to go for straight away when it goes alongside your podcast. I'm not sure. Anyway, Christine, okay, we'll wrap up point point one. So, right, hang around, everybody, because Christine's, I said for you, she's an amazing poet, and she's going to read some pieces in the second half, so. Thank you again, Christine, and we'll see you all in two shakes of the dice. Spoke Hi, guys. Yes, still here with the fantastic Christine. I'm now going to shut up and go straight over to Christine, and she's going to read out a selection of the pieces. Now, these are all from the same collection, Christine, aren't they, did you say before? Yes. So obviously, yes. make sure people are aware of what the Christine the collection's called, what that's fine me. Over to you, my friend. All right, sure, thank you. So I'll be reading a few poems from my book, Desert Fox by the Sea. And this is available a couple different places, not as many as it used to be uh, because it's now out of print, but you can find it in a few different libraries. It was originally published by Hoot and Waddle. Hoot, like what a an owl says <laughs> or does. Um, And, you know, the pandemic took out another small press. I do have copies as well, a few left. So if you want to email me at uh, my last name, dot my first name, stoddard.christine at gmail.com, I am happy to coordinate with you about that. But the first poem I'll be reading is Jaguar in the Cotton Field. One month after my mother's mother was raped with a knife, she crawled into the coffin that was her kitchen, drenched herself in kerosene, and lit her flesh on fire. Like the man in the park where the saguaros grow, the flames made my grandmother pray for death. But death was the jaguar in the cotton field that fate forbade her from catching. Fate! eventually exercised mercy when she died in the hospital one week later with the spotted pelt in her hands at last. Though I never knew her, I visit her grave every Sunday to pay homage to a a woman's pain, to the ever-shrinking smallness she felt in the world, to the smallness I myself know. Oh, that's really, really, really touching that one straight away with that there, because it's, I think you, you've touched on a lot of topics that really, and it is really, really, really motive piece. And obviously, what was clearly an amazing lady as well. So that one's so fantastic. Okie dokie. Right. Thank you. We'll move right. straight on to point number two. Yes. Also from Desert Fox by the Sea. And this is Requiem for a Twin. A pall has been cast over your layette. I sit on the edge of the bathtub, naked. The double stroller must go up in flames. I rub my globular belly, wishing I had a map to find you. Burn half the blankets, the bibs, the binkies. When the ultrasound revealed not one, but two, I cried. Twice the bundle, 
twice the joy. Always two armfuls of fat rolls, gurgles, and heartbeats. The nursery became a shrine to the unborn as I bought, unpacked, piled, and arranged. Meanwhile, I grew and stretched and ached. Then your heart stopped and my aches multiplied. They said your sister lived, but you had vanished. A fairly common chromosomal syndrome. Though my body may have absorbed you, I have not absorbed my grief. Every night I bathe, almost a dehydration. When your sister comes into this world, the loss of you will be final, my child. Wow, wow, good grief. <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> you probably get me saying that I'm speechless there, so, wow. Well, that, right. is, that is such an emotive piece. Anyway, we'll just move on, because I, I don't ask to ask you any awkward <laughs> questions here, so I'll embarrass myself, or embarrass you, so. No, it's tremendous, really, no, seriously, Christine. It's a really, really powerful piece. And tell us about the themes in this collection and before we carry on, because obviously... Yeah, sure. So um, I would say the themes in this collection are women-driven narratives, things that um, tend to be experienced by women, but not necessarily discussed openly, like intergenerational trauma, some of the pain that's passed down from grandmother to mother to daughter, um, a lot of things related to the body, um, different sexual experiences, uh, pregnancy, motherhood, all the different things that can happen in early motherhood, um, shame. There's a lot about shame in the collection. Um, there's some funny moments too, you know, it's not all, all gloomy, uh, like I have one piece uh, that's a little bit too long for, for here, I'd say that's um, about having sex for the first time. And uh, yeah, just in general, different kinds of women's stories. And there tends to be, because of my cultural background, uh, some of the pieces are bilingual English, Spanish, and there's a Latin influence. Um, and then there's a little bit about Southern or US Southern influences because I am from Virginia and I lived in uh, Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy during the Civil War. Um, and then there's a lot of New York-y stuff because my dad's a New Yorker and that's where I've lived for much of my adult life now. Yeah, okay, completely. Now, obviously, before we carry on to the collections of one, I want to hear at least those two pieces on this before we finish today. But tell us a very, very brief look, so I don't want to say I'm conscious for you and time here is like obviously for you writing there's bilingual poems in that how does it compare right because i've done russian translations before now and i've attempted writing russian as well but that's a story for another day but how does it compare writing in other languages for yourself say you're doing your spanish and your english yeah so i will write spanglish poems I don't ever really write poems that are all in Spanish. English is definitely my first and preferred language, but Spanish has been a part of my life, uh, part of my background, part of, you know, it's my mom's native language. So it's something that 
I've always been around. So I'll use it for texture. I'll use it depending on what characters might be speaking in a poem, if there's dialogue. Uh, it, it really just depends. It's like choosing a color for a painting. Sometimes you just feel it. Um, and sometimes it feels like a line or a word should be in Spanish, not in English. So I'll throw it in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Agree completely. So like I said, it does make sense. I think we use language like you do. It can, it can make things interesting sometimes if you do it like what you're doing, indefinitely. Right, anyway, I'm going to shut up now because I want you to read at least another two pieces for us. So. Sure. Over to you, Christine, again. Thank you. This is also from Desert Fox by the Sea, and it's Thoughts on a Winter Morning Walk Through Manhattan by Myself as a Woman. Today, I put on the old brown boots that finally gave out. And there's not a shoe shop anywhere in the city open at this hour. I'll stop in here to dry off, warm up. Wow, this deli looks and smells like it really has been around since 1976. So this is where the cops eat. At least it's cheap. Oh, and fast. There's my greasy panini, Western omelet with cheese. There could have been a better way to start this morning than switching megabuses in a snowy Elizabeth Town parking lot at 4 a.m. Why do I put myself in bizarre, uncomfortable, lonely situations when traveling? At least I got my panini now. I love it when the cleaning guy mops while you're eating. Whoa, how can anyone drink coffee this hot? Nobody ever believes I want black coffee either. Not a little sugar? No, or I would have asked. Women with little girl voices can like black coffee too, you know. Great, hair and skin infomercials. Just what I need when I look like a drenched rat. Look away from the perfect pores. A sign on the wall says, CPR kit located at manager's desk. What? By the time you read that, it'll probably be too late. Okay, that was good. I'm out of here. Why does New York have so many creepy basements? Hey, is that shop open? Yes, please, and thank you. The comfiest shoes in the world are waterproof work boots, men's. Round toe, dorktastic, but guaranteed to keep your feet from getting soggy. The best $40 I ever spent. Now where the heck is the subway? Maybe I'll just wander until I find it. That man coming toward me is definitely gonna rape me. I knew this wasn't going to be my day, but hey, if you can survive here, you can survive anywhere. Oh, fantastic that game. Makes me think a lot of Manchester where I am because there's so much going on in Manchester in a different way to what New York is, what you are. And one of my best friends actually is from New York and I'm actually going to be playing this podcast him later on differently. So and it'd make him, that'd make him nostalgic. It, it really brought your life and your city to life then really it did in that one. So parts of, do you find you're right in that piece? Parts are very humorous as well, really, weren't they? So... Yeah, no, I, I like to bring in humor too. You know, I was mentioning uh, earlier in the first part about this uh, poetry series I co-host called Poet Voice Sucks uh, at the Broadway Comedy Club. I think humor definitely has a place in poetry. Um, it just, again, it depends on what you're going to choose for a texture, for a moment, for, for your tone, whatever it is you're trying to convey. 
yeah, no, straight away with that, it's absolutely superb. Really, really good example. And it was a nice counterbalance to your first two pieces in this session as well, so that's fantastic. Right, I said before, yeah, I want you want to get at least four down for us. So I will have a concluding piece of, you know, Christina, I think definitely so. Okay, Over great. Two. This is called Origin of a Mermaid, and it's also from Desert Fox by the Sea. A mother heaving on the operating table, the siren washed ashore filleted in half. The doctors cut her with their human knives and human words. She flows and flows, her siren blood, her siren flesh. She hears the ocean as she pushes, as she grits her shark-like teeth. In her fever dream, she imagines it is raining pearls. When will her minnows swim into this world? The air thickens with a sea breeze the longer she labors. Gulls cry, whales moan, crabs stir the sand up into song. All manner of marine life beckon this small creature onto land. The shore may seem perilous for a mermaid, but the water promises no refuge. Half woman, half fish, she belongs and does not belong wherever she ventures. The little mermaid finally emerges from, from her mother's womb, hesitantly, as much as she might emerge from coral forests in coming months, wary of prowling squids and scuba men with spears. The mother mermaid cradles her newborn and serenades her with that voice sailors know and love and fear. Welcome to the world, little mermaid. Learn to swim fast, learn to question fast, do not startle fast, do not trust fast. You can control no one but yourself and the moon controls us all. Oh, I love that. I really do like that one, Christine. Because I know my wife really, really likes poem like mermaids and I, I really got that piece immediately. So that is absolutely great way of finishing a session off that. Oh, what a fantastic piece. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I take it, do you have much love of mermaid yourself in deals? It was that piece went in a different direction for you. Yeah, no, I definitely love mermaids. I love fairy tales. I love fables and folklore uh, from different cultures, different points in history. I think it's fascinating uh, how every culture has some idea of a beast and different ideas of what a beast can be. Um, I have always connected with mermaids because water is such a big part in my life. Mm. Uh, like both of my parents are scuba divers. Oh. My dad as a hobby, uh, he is a licensed cabin, um, captain. So my parents used to run a scuba diving business on the side. It was, oh, wow. Yeah, when I was a little wow. girl, um, we would go to the river a lot, the bay. And even living in New York City, I go to Long Island Sound as often as I can do. I, and I love the Hudson wow. River. Wow. Well, fantastic. Making me envious. <laughs> so, brilliant. Okay, Christine, we better wrap up this point. Anyway, like I said, we're going to do some more work now for the top of the label next. So, so I said, everybody, thank you again, Christine. It's been a pleasure to let I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So, right. Anyway, guys and girls, that's it for today for Spoken Label. Stay safe and stay over. And to quote Don Callis, and we will see you all next time. Spoken Label.